I made Farmlands nearly five years ago now, and in that film, I depict the atrocious racism and violence directed towards the white South African farming minority. More than that, though, the film touched on the general destabilization of what every world leader swore to us would be a progressive success story. The Rainbow Nation, which increasingly, rather than attempt to reduce racism, has just directed it towards other groups, non-blacks, in the form of black economic empowerment policies, which ensure black people are propped up over any other group in the country, white, Asian, Indian, doesn't matter, right? Farmlands overall predicted a very bleak future for South Africa based on the course it has taken. In some cases, interview subjects even predicting civil war and total infrastructure collapse. Fundamentally, we're saying we believe that the trajectory of our state suggests that it is going to end badly, that this trajectory is going to collide with a wall or a window or whatever. The family doesn't use it um, for its day-to-day -day use. It's specifically a preparation for a nationwide anarchy situation. The scale and thoroughness of these preparations would make you think the apocalypse is just around the corner. But Simon assured me that these were only the preparations of one of thousands of others across the country prepping in the same way. Now, many at the time of the film's release called this an insane conspiracy theory. Lauren, none of this is gonna happen, right? <laughs> but with the US just last month issuing safety warnings to Americans in the country over infrastructure collapse, mass civil unrest, and financial disaster, I think it's worthwhile asking today, how close is South Africa now to the reality that Farmlands predicted? Okay, let's go. All right, so South Africa has seemingly been teetering on the precipice of collapse for ages now. Just two years ago, I was reporting on mass riots and looting across the land that left communities banding together to defend themselves from hordes of criminals with the government just having seemingly abandoned them. But of course, the South African people are some of the hardest, most resilient humans on this planet, and they made it through this. But resilience only gets you so far when dealing with a powerhouse of incompetence that is the South African government. And it's really beginning to look like the slope into oblivion is going straight off a cliff edge this year. Let's start with their economic situation because it's kicked off a lot of this. The inflation rate in South Africa between 1958 and 2022 was 10,525%. So 100 rand in the 50s is worth 10,000 rand today. That is staggering, and it's only getting worse. As of this year, the nation can now also consider itself the winner of the world's highest unemployment rate contest. I'm not kidding. In the last couple of years, they have hit 44.4% unemployment at times. I truly don't even know how a country functions at that stage, but I don't know. As for cost of living, petrol, diesel, food, all of it have surged out of control in the last year with even interest rates climbing from 7% to 10.5% for home and property owners. 
Starting this upcoming April, electricity will get a 32% tariff increase, sending costs through the roof. And even if you want to escape this economic hellhole, you're going to have to pay 30% more for airplane tickets out of the country. And just like thunder with lightning, economic collapse is almost always paired with infrastructure collapse. Just this February, the U.S. Embassy released a statement to Americans currently in or traveling to South Africa warning them to begin stockpiling food and water in the wake of a power crisis and to be prepared for crime and civil unrest. This does not exude much confidence in the current state of the country, and it shouldn't, given locals like Twitter user at Canine Reaper have been reporting the catastrophe on the ground. I'm just going to read a few of his chilling tweets saying, City power has an average turnaround time of two to three days for grid repairs. They don't have the manpower supplies nor funds, and they've already used this year's budget. We're seeing an increase in coordinated attacks on water, power, and communications infrastructure. Looting is no longer just a daily thing, but is also now becoming a more structured issue with guerrilla planning involved. Our roads no longer exist. Anything that is state-run is crumbling. Police and hospital resources for the state don't exist and are also slowly disintegrating. ESCOM, South Africa's only power producer, is averaging 50% or less power output, plunging massive parts of our country into rolling blackouts. Particularly terrifying is his report that our Navy, Army, and Air Force are done. Troops are buying their own boots. Army bases are being looted for copper. Vehicles and machinery are being cannibalized for parts. Which would explain why they have been entirely useless during riots and civil unrest that have resulted in mass amounts of informal land grabs. Rioters have completely destroyed beautiful places like the Tigerberg Raceway, then gone in and just taken the land, started building houses on it. These land invasions and grabs are happening all over South Africa every single day now. Why would anyone invest in a country, build something in a country where there's no laws being put in place to protect that which you buy and invest in or own? It is complete madness. Which brings me to another wonderful fun issue, the crime in the country. South Africa already has one of the highest murder rates in the world, scoring number three in this category. It's like they're playing national collapse competitively because they keep beating their own high scores every single month, it seems. A report from February 17th shows that even just since December, murders have shot up from 74 a day to 82 a day. Sexual assault, 169 offenses daily. Violent robberies, 411 daily. And this is just what's being reported, right? I, I can't describe enough to you guys how much crime has just been integrated into the culture there. I mean, uh, technically we were robbed in South Africa when I was filming Farmlands, but never reported it because it was just a part of the daily life people had gotten used to. Boys around the malls will walk up to your car with metal pipes and say, hey, you should, you should pay me so that I can protect your car from robbers or people who might want to hurt it. And if you don't pay them, well, you'll come back to a car that's been beat to death with metal pipes. They'll ensure you needed that protection from them. Now, what about the government? Surely they must be doing something about all this chaos, right? Well, let's look at the government corruption here, because it is next level. And I assure you, 
They are doing nothing more than sitting back and making a hell of a lot of money off of this collapse, playing their fiddle like Nero as Rome burns. In fact, just last week, Andre Reuter, I'm most certainly pronouncing that wrong, uh, he's the previous CEO of ESCOM, South Africa's only energy provider, he gave a rather insightful interview to ETV where he discussed why he resigned and fled the country just this year, stating he was brought in to tackle corruption and end the rolling blackouts across the nation, but instead of being met with praise for his efforts, he said they attempted to assassinate him, putting cyanide in his coffee December 12th, the day of his resignation. He also claims the police had a total lack of interest in investigating the issue and that the workmen repairing the broken coffee machine on the day of his would-be poisoning have since absconded from work and just disappeared. This is all on the back of a leaked U.S. State Department call discussing the need to prepare for a total collapse of South Africa's power grid, which quite frankly is likely a result of government policies which force the company to fire large amounts of their staff in order to meet a 75% black ethnic quota by 2005, whether or not these individuals were the best suited for the job. As far as I'm concerned, this is state-mandated corruption, out in the open. And while the state are certainly doing their hard work to cripple this very necessary company, Andre's assassination attempt most likely came from another group making plenty of money off the infrastructure of South Africa, the Mafia, who make large amounts of money from ESCOM and other infrastructure they gut and steal from for their own needs. Now what does South Africa's president, Cyril Ramaphosa, have to say about this all? Haha! <laughs> We are not constitutionally obligated to provide anyone in South Africa power, so why would you? What about what you're humanly and morally obligated to do when stealing their money, you freak? I suppose it's no surprise that he's shrugging off a total infrastructure collapse as a result of bad policy and corruption, as ironically enough, in 2020, an estimated 4 million undeclared foreign dollary dues were stolen from his private farm, which led to an investigation as to how the hell the president of the country had 4 million bucks just laying around undocumented? Reports have gone back and forth on this, but in 2022, a panel in the South African parliament accused him of serious misconduct. However, I'm sure much like the investigation into ESCOM CEO's assassination attempt, this investigation will dwindle into nothingness as well as these leaders continue on in power, collapsing the country. I really haven't even remotely touched on the surface of the corruption in this country, but I think you get the picture. Things in South Africa are not going well. The leaked calls from the US government officials preparing for the total infrastructure and power collapse do not bode well for a country already in spiral. While farmlands predicted a civil war as a state of disaster, a potential future that would destroy things, if I'm being honest here, the people rising up against corruption could actually be one of South Africa's only saving graces at this point. But for legal reasons, I'm not saying anyone should do this. In fact, I'm not really sure there's any fixing this place at this point. So I just go with those 30% inflated flight tickets and get the hell out of there. This country is not going to collapse, it is actively in its collapse. And in retrospect, anyone saying otherwise during this period will be laughed at, and deservingly so. So it's time to accept reality. Modern South Africa is a failed state, and farmlands will remain one of the few true accounts of how it got there. The best we can do now is warn the world not to go down the same path.
Uh, and joining us now is Alex Newman, broadcaster with us here at Lindell TV. Alex, thanks for being with us tonight. Thank you for having me, Brandon. Great to be here. You too. Here is a headline uh, from my radio show back August 13th, 2018. Will the rate, you're losing my laptop. All right, let me plug it in better. Here we go. August 13th, 2018 uh, is the headline, is the date on this, August 13th, 2018. Will the race war in South Africa come to America? In South Africa, the race card and r racial lies and offensive offensives have been promoted for years against Christians and capitalists that are farmers. So that was 2018. We did a show back in uh, July of 2021. I interviewed Janie Allen and Trevor Loudon. Janie is from South Africa, but now lives in America. And then I interviewed some other folks that were from South Africa on the ground living there. You've been reporting on this far longer than that. I'm about to pull up some of your articles. I called you today because there is a report now that South Africa, uh, here it is, here's the headline over at um, worldviewreport.com, Nightmare in South Africa, U.S. Embassy warns Americans to ready themselves for power grid collapses and civil unrest being reported at the Western Journal. Uh, I called you and I said today, can you come on tonight? Because I think you and I are in agreement that South Africa may be the beta testing. Uh, we know that uh, Klaus Schwab has talked about uh, a cyber attack that would make put down the grid, put down hospitals, and make COVID look like a mild disruption. Uh, and I said, what if, what if South Africa is the beta test? And so I called you up and said, would you be in agreement? You said, I think South Africa is the canary in the coal mine, been writing and saying it for years. Take the floor and tell our audience. Well, thank you, Brandon. And so, um, you know, th there's no way to condense the amount of information I've gathered on South Africa. I used to live in South Africa. I love South Africa. I love the people of South Africa. There's no way to condense the almost 20 years of information I've been compiling into, uh, you know, a short soundbite. But what I will say is uh, I have come to the conclusion that South Africa is the model that they are using uh, to bring down the United States and to bring down the Western world. Uh, South Africa is kind of a microcosm of the world. A lot of people don't understand South Africa. South Africa is not even a real thing, right? Uh, the, the idea of a Republic of South Africa is an artificial construct, and the Republic of South Africa, so-called, is a government, a very corrupt communist government that rules over about a dozen different nations, very distinct nations, right? The Zulu nation, the Shosan nation, the Afrikaner nation. Uh, there, there's all these different, and, and they're nations in the truest sense of the term. They have their own language, their own culture, their own religious beliefs. Um, you know, they, they're more different than Americans and Mexicans. They're more different than uh, Americans and Brazilians or Americans and French people. I mean, massive differences. Uh, and so there, there is no South African people per se. Uh, but there are the Afrikaner people, uh, the Afrikaner people, and, and there are different people define the group in different ways. But, uh, you know, the general understanding is that Afrikaners are the descendants of the Dutch who started settling down there in the mid 1600s. Uh, they settled first in the Western Cape. There were absolutely no black Africans anywhere to be seen. In fact, they didn't encounter uh, black Africans for maybe 150, maybe 200 years after that. It wasn't until I think the early 1800s where they met at the Orange River. Uh, so they settled down there and they built uh, a very prosperous, Christian free nation. Uh, the British didn't like it. The British tried to wipe them out a number of times. And so the Afrikaners had a very well-founded fear 
of extermination if they ever uh, released control of their own destiny. And so think of the Afrikaners as one nation among many nations in this landmass that we call South Africa. Uh, and uh, a, a friend of mine uh, whose book I can't recommend highly enough, it's called Amabulu, The Birth and Death of the Second America. Um, he makes the case that the Afrikaner people are the closest cousins to Americans anywhere on the planet. I mean, they're far closer to Americans than, say, British people would be. Uh, in fact, we have a very similar history. Uh, Christians fleeing religious persecution, uh, having to fight Britain for our freedom, uh, creating a free, prosperous Christian society, then having to go to war with the British. Uh, so the parallels are enormous. So there's this little nation there. There's about four or five million of them left in South Africa. And um, you know, they, they created the, they actually didn't create, they inherited this system called apartheid, uh, which means separate development. Uh, and there were many nasty things about apartheid. This was something that the British has, had implemented. They instituted a, a racial classification system. But when the Afrikaners took it over, the basic idea was, look, these different African nations should be granted independence. They should, they should have their own freedom. We don't need to rule over them. They don't need to rule over us. They should be independent nations. And so that was the eventual goal. They set up a, a homeland for the different nations. Some of those homelands still exist today, by the way. Um, they're, uh, Botswana, for example, is the homeland of the Tswana people. Uh, the Swaziland, as it used to be called, is the homeland of the Swazi people. The Kingdom of Lesotho is the homeland of the Zotho people. So a lot of these homelands actually remain. They are sovereign, independent, self-governing African nations today. But uh, many of these others were, were merged into this communist superstate called South Africa. Now, what happened is with, with backing from the Rockefellers, with backing from the Soviet Union, with backing from the United Nations, um, the U.S. government basically forced the Afrikaners to surrender political power and, and all power over their own destiny, by the way, to an alliance of communist mass murderers. Um, and and I, I say that without any bit of hyperbole at all. The African National Congress, which is the ruling party today, it rules in an alliance with the South African Communist Party and COSATU, the, uh, the labor union, um, was always a front group for the communists, so starting about 100 years ago. I mean, it, maybe it was set it up with good intentions, but the communists took it over very rapidly. Uh, Nelson Mandela was actually a member of the Central Committee of the South African Communist Party. And so, uh, and the ANC, believe it or not, was actually on our U.S. government terrorist list until 1988 because they were terrorists, because and they Margaret were bombing Thatcher, civilians. Mar Margaret Thatcher put them on that as well, I think. That's right. And I mean, even George Bush acknowledged that the ANC was a terrorist organization. Reagan understood this. I mean, all, all Americans previously understood this. And that's not to say that you, you have to defend apartheid to recognize that the ANC was a communist terrorist group. Uh, that's just a fact. And so when the U.S. government forced the Afrikaners to surrender political power to the ANC, to the Communist Party, um, they basically guaranteed their destruction. Now, why do I say that that's a microcosm of what they're doing to the world? And I'm sorry for, for the whole background, but you, I mean, it's so much history you can't really condense it. Um, what they're doing right now to America is essentially the same thing that they did to the Afrikaners. They're trying to convince us that borders are racist, that America is white supremacist, that we have to give decision-making authority to the United Nations, to the UN Security Council, to the UN General Assembly. And if that happens, we will be in exactly the same boat as the Afrikaners find themselves in today. We will have no say over our political destiny. We will have no say over our economic destiny. We will be at the mercy of communists, of China, of Russia, of South Africa, of the Brazilian government, uh, and we will be in the exact same boat that they're in, except on a global scale, right? Right now, a lot of Africa, millions of Afrikaners have fled the country, and who can blame them? Uh, I think probably the rest of four or five million that are still there would love to flee as well. Uh, but we're going to have nowhere to flee 
if the globalists get away with what they intend to do at the global level. Mm. Look at this headline from Alex Newman in 2017. Murder rate for these white farmers 20 times international average. South African minority facing genocide incited by government. That's interesting because now we, the American people, are facing a genocide cited by the American government called the COVID death shot. That's kind of interesting. Here is another one. In Jeopardy, this was 2013. Alex Newman, 2013. In Jeopardy, future of white South Africans. Genocide watch expert warns population on verge of extermination. Here's another one. 2013, Alex Newman. Can whites escape post-Mandela bloodbath? There's, a direct, there's direct evidence of government incitement to genocide. Mandela's legacy, the free fall of South Africa. 2013, Alex Newman. Subtitle, rapes, murders, disease, corruption, poverty, communism rampant, and maybe genocide. How about another one? Alex Newman, 2012, South African communist, friends in high places. South African communist, friends in high places. There's Mandela making the old uh, uh, symbol there, solidarity. And if that flag were blown up, that's a hammer and sickle behind him, if I remember correctly, wasn't it, Alex? It was. And the man standing next to him is Joe Slovo, the head of the Communist Party of South Africa. Well, there you go. Uh, Genocide and communism threatened South Africa, 2012, Alex Newman. So there you go. Here's the headline that brings us back. This is from over in, uh, I think, Sydney, Australia. Stockpile food and water. South Africa faces civil war conditions if power grid collapses. A country of 60 million is on the verge of collapse amid rolling blackouts and warnings of civil war, civil war scale unrest. Uh, again, I thought for a minute, that's the kind of thing could happen here in America far easier than people realize. I don't know if you were able to catch my show from uh, Friday night, but I interviewed uh, Mr. Um, Pine. I want to show you his bio real quick. He's, run the he's running the organization my friend, the late Dr. Peter Pry ran, the EMP Task Force. You guys want to show this. Let me show you real quick what I showed you Friday night, what Alex's response. Here's a presentation he's giving tomorrow. Why America, what America must do to stop provoking World War III with the Sino-Russian alliance, the Chinese-Russian alliance. He's giving that tomorrow. This guy is the deputy director of the National Operations for the EMP Task Force, former international programs manager of the U.S. Army uh, headquarters staff, and uh, recipient of 12 letters of commendation, brief generals, senior department army and department of defense officials, former missile defense agency, department of defense international analyst. I mean, he's a former U.S. Army combat arms officer, former national security policy director for Mike Lee's for Senate campaign, and on and on and on. This guy has a background in the military. He knows what he's talking about. Here's his report warning about how we're poking the bear and we're trying to get ourselves right in the middle of this thing by the globalist. And it's going to end up being World War III. And then you're going to end up with Russia or China or Iran or North Korea, one of their uh, proxies that they are in military alliance with, ripping off an a, uh, EMP over here. This was in the report. I found it when we were on the air as I was going through it. It's stunning. Because Leo Holman, myself, and maybe yourself, Alex, have been warning for a few years about the dangers of a real Red Dawn scenario in America. That's a 1980s movie. It was redone. But any experts on the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, know that that was actually a part of their real plan. The, the movie in the mid-80s, Red Dawn, was actually based on real USSR uh, communist nations working together to invade America. Well, he puts in there 
in this report, look, you poke the bear, you go after and create a war with Russia and China, a two-theater situation, which we don't have the ability to fight, and they all they got to do is let an EMP rip, and we're going down. And then you wait until China, Russia, Venezuela, Iran, Cuba load their ships up with tanks and trucks and armored personnel, and they come over here with vehicles and things that run. All our stuff is kaput from an EMP. They land on shore, and boom, they start spreading out. Look at this map, your feedback. He said, look, this is my theory. Here's the map, guys. Show that map, please, in there. There we go. The red, the yellow, Oregon, California, Nevada, Idaho, Utah, Arizona, is Chinese occupation. Well, I think you and I and a few others, Trevor Loudon, have been warning basically China has already taken over California, San Francisco for sure, and most of the state. So it wouldn't be too hard for them to make this kind of a move there. Washington State. That is North Korea occupation. The blue is unoccupied free zone. I'm not so sure it would be that big, to be honest with you, but that's okay. The orange down there, New Mexico and Texas, is Mexico's taking over that, which is basically a communist narco state as we speak. Then you got Florida. That's become a Cuban-Venezuela occupation. And then the red all the way from Georgia all the way up to Maine on the East Coast is run by Russia. Uh, Alaska is taken by Russia. Hawaii is taken by China. Now, again, some of this fits with former Soviet Union uh, military strategies of which the mid-80s film, as I said, was based, Red Dawn. What do you say about this? Yeah, and there's actually a direct connection to South Africa here, Brandon. Um, everybody's heard of Bill Ayers, the communist terrorist who was working with Cuban intelligence to bomb our State Department, bomb our Pentagon, uh, bomb uh, the funerals of police officers they had murdered. They actually bombed Capitol Hill back when bombing Capitol Hill was no big deal, uh, apparently. And, um, you know, one of the really interesting things, and, and you and I have talked about this on your program before, uh, the FBI operative who infiltrated the leadership of the Weather Underground, uh, Larry Grathwell, actually said in interviews after he had come out that their plan was they were a fifth column within the United States working with these hostile communist forces. And their plan was once the revolution begins, all these foreign communist regimes were going to come in and occupy parts of the United States. They were going to build mass, a massive network of concentration cramps across the American Southwest and put Americans inside of them. And they expected to have to exterminate about 25 million of us in these camps. Now, where does Obama and South Africa fit in? Well, I actually wrote a whole chapter uh, in the book that uh, Cliff Kincaid, uh, Trevor Loud, and Joel Gilbert, and others is called uh, Obama Unmasked Marxist Mole in the White House. Uh, and my chapter was about how Obama got his start in politics, not just in the living room of Bill Ayers. He actually got the inspiration to start in politics from the communist revolution in South Africa. And he has said that openly and repeatedly numerous times. So we've come full circle now. The revolution in South Africa is a, uh, a precursor to the revolution they hope to eventually unleash in the United States. Now, this idea of a, a U.S. conflict with China and Russia, um, I don't necessarily think that the U.S. is provoking it. Uh, you know, Joe Biden couldn't provoke anything. The guy's just reading from a teleprompter. I think what's happening here, um, and, you know, if we had 10 more hours, I'd be more than happy to lay out the evidence. It's overwhelming. Uh, I think what's happening here is Putin and Xi are conspiring together with the globalists who want to take down our country, including the fifth column within our country. And they're setting up here a Hegelian dialectic situation where we're going to be told you have to line up behind one or the other. Uh, either you're with Putin and China, and there are a bunch of 
I think, well-meaning but incredibly naive and deceived conservatives in America. And I know some of these people, and I love them. I, I just I wish I could get them to snap out of it. They believe that Putin and Xi Jinping are fighting the new world order, that they're the saviors, that Putin wants to defend the family, that Putin wants to defend Christendom. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, and so you can see how some Americans, even some American conservatives, would naturally side with uh, this invasion force. Uh, and of course, the, the fifth column that's been in our country for decades uh, is already openly working with them. Uh, you know, the, the relationships between top elites in Washington, D.C. and Wall Street and the communist Chinese have been well documented for decades, going all the way back to the communist takeover of China. Uh, and so then the other option is to line up behind the degenerate and increasingly disgusting uh, Western world, right? Joe Biden. Uh, the guy who thinks that we ought to be chopping off private parts from little boys so they can become their true selves. Right? Who wants to line up behind that? So we're being presented, as the communists always do, with a trap. You can line up behind poison A or poison B. Either way, you're done for. So we've got to re realize, line up behind either of these. Don't fall for the Hegelian dialectical trap. Uh, we need to be Americans who are not in favor of any of these things. And South Africa, I think, is the best cautionary tale we have anywhere in the world as to what can happen if we mess up here. So bring it back to the uh, threat of the power grid going down on 60 million people there in South Africa and uh, society collapsing and food, you know, becoming scarce and civil unrest. Would they want well, that? The... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Brent. Would they want that in America? Well, the, the... Yeah, absolutely, they want that in America. Um, actually, the reason the power grid is going down in South Africa is partly because of communism, which, of course, is rearing its ugly head here. Uh, and it's partly because of the same thing that they're doing here, right? The U.S. government and the European Union and the communists have been telling the South Africans to shut down their power plants. They can't maintain their nuclear power plants anymore because all their smart engineers have wisely left the country. So the very same things that are happening in South Africa that are causing this are happening in America. Affirmative action, right? They've got a bunch of nincompoops who don't even know how to spell their name running highly advanced technology. I mean, it's like this guy that Biden nominated for the FAA. The guy doesn't know the first thing about airspace or air traffic have control you seen, or have you seen? Have you seen him being interviewed? Have you seen him being interviewed? Yeah, by, by the senator there, but from North Carolina. Yes, I mean, yes. that's exactly what's happening in South Africa. It's a bunch of cronies who don't know anything about running a power grid. They don't know anything about running a power station or keeping the lights on. They're in there because they're connected to the Communist Party. They're connected to the ANC. They are the our equivalent of affirmative action hires. They don't know the first thing about operating a power grid. And so I do believe they're trying to sabotage the grid. In fact, today on my show, Brandon, I don't know that you probably didn't watch it. I had uh, Tommy Waller, the new president and CEO of the Center for Security Policy. And our subject of discussion was an EMP attack on America. Uh, I actually interviewed Vincent Peter Pry a couple years ago before he passed away. Uh, and he said it's a very easy thing to do. The U.S. government has known all about it. Uh, it, it wouldn't even have to be a, a tin pot dictatorship like North Korea. The sun could do it. Uh, and we know from what we've seen Klaus Schwab talking about, uh, I think a cyber attack on our energy infrastructure and on our communications infrastructure is part of the plan. Whether they'll pull it off or not remains to be seen. But I do believe they are literally planning to accomplish that. And, um, you know, don't be surprised if troops follow not long after that. Wow. Here's that little video. I want to play this, guys. Senator Ted Budd questioning the nominee uh, for FAA. Watch just a minute of this. Look at this. Mr. Washington, can you quickly tell me uh, what airspace requires an ADSB transponder? Not sure I can answer that question right now. That's, that's okay. We'll just keep going. So um, that's a that's a pretty important part. Mm. So what are the six types of special use airspace that protect this national security that appear on FAA charts? 
Uh, sorry, Senator, I cannot answer that question. Okay, so what are the operational limitations of a pilot flying under basic med? Senator, I'm not a pilot, so... Uh, but I, obviously you'd ever see the F Federal Aviation Administration, so um, any, any idea what those uh, restrictions are under basic med, quickly? Uh, well, some of the restrictions I think would be high blood pressure. Uh, some of them would be... It's more like how many passengers per airplane, how many pounds okay. in different categories, and uh, what ele what uh, altitude uh, you can fly under. So, and uh, and then uh, amount of knots. It's under 250 knots. So, okay. it's not having have anything to do with blood pressure. So, can you tell me what causes an aircraft to spin or to stall? Uh, again, Senator, I'm not a pilot. Um, okay, uh, let's keep going. What are the three aircraft certifications the FAA requires as part of the manufacturing process? Quickly, please. Three aircraft certifications. Uh, again, uh, what I would say to that is that one of my first priorities would be to fully implement that Certification Act uh, and report. You know back the three to types, uh, Mr. Washington. The, the three no. types. Okay. Yeah, that's type certificate, production certificate, and airworthiness certificate. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Let's just keep going, see if we can um, um, get lucky here. So can you tell me what the minimum separation distance is for landing and departing airliners during the daytime, Mr. Washington? I, I don't want to guess on that, Senator. Are you familiar with the difference between Part 107 and Part 44809 when it comes to unmanned aerial standards? Unmanned aerial Unmanned, like drones, are you familiar with yes, the difference? Yes, yes. Okay, you know the difference between those two, part 44809 and part 107? Do you know the difference there? No, I cannot. Uh, That's okay. Seven for seven, I guess, uh, according to the write-up I just read. Uh, and So why is this gentleman picked? Is he of the right people group? I mean, we got to get our, our quota in. We picked Buttigieg, He picked Buttigieg because he's gay, apparently. Is this man of the right people group? Is this now about identity politics? And, and cronyism, right? I'm sure if you dig far enough, you'll find connections to some political hack, some senators, some uh, staffer in the White House. Um, you know, clearly the guy has no idea anything having to do with aviation. I mean, God forbid you have to fly on an airplane. I think you're, you're a pretty smart guy. Look at smarter every day, Brandon. But um, I mean, this is exactly what's happening. <laughs> I quit South flying Africa. in 2005. That's why he's saying. And I bought a smart. motor coach and I wore out two of them. And then I, <laughs> before I quit doing that so much. Hmm. Yep. But but that's what's happening in South Africa. I mean, you have a bunch of cronies who don't know anything about running a power station, running an electrical grid, anything, uh, running the power grid because they're connected to somebody in a political position. Uh, and of course, you can't keep the lights on that way. Uh, and, and of course, they, they want a civil war. Right. A lot of people don't realize because the media doesn't talk about this. South Africa is the only country in the world that I know of where there is a president of the country. And, and this has been going on for years. The current president is the first one in a long time who hasn't been openly advocating genocide. But the several presidents before him openly, I mean, they would go on national television. They would stand in a stadium full of soldiers and sing genocide songs. They'd sing, bring me my machine gun. We're going to shoot all the boars. We're going to kill all the farmers. They're talking about the, the Afrikaner farmers, the Dutch, who are, by the way, the most productive farmers on this planet. Um, and, and this is happening in the open. There's no other country anywhere on earth where the president could sing genocide songs about a vulnerable minority group and the fake media in America wouldn't even bother to mention it, right? When Trump mentioned it, they all lost their minds. You, you'd think he was, uh, you know, the reincarnation of Adolf Hitler for pointing out that there is a genocidal plan. Who first sounded the alarm about this with, with an incredible amount of credi credibility? Uh, that's when I really started hammering away at this in 2012. Dr. Gregory Stanton of Genocide Watch. Uh, he was an anti-apartheid activist. He's probably the world's leading expert on genocide. 
And he had gone down to South Africa on a fact-finding mission, and he said clearly and unequivocally, South Africa is on the verge of a genocide targeting the Afrikaner people group. The government is encouraging this. The murders that are already taking place are incomprehensibly brutal. They're torturing these people with electric grill, uh, drills. They're pouring hot oil down their mouths. They're raping babies with They're broken bottles. They're skinning them alive. Yes, they are. Uh, and, and, I mean, these are, are people who uh, are just like a farmer in Kansas. I mean, there, there's very little difference between a farmer in Kansas, a farmer in Missouri, a farmer in Iowa. They're coming and, uh, onto the their farm, farm and doing this. This isn't some farmers out at a protest and getting in a squabble. They are coming onto their farm, videotaping, raping the farmer's wife, making sure he's alive to watch it, deliberately trying to keep them alive for two or three days, torturing them in the most unspeakable ways, videotaping it, and then I've read reports they will sometimes put a Bible on their dead, mutilated body, raped, yep. dead, mutilated body, to identify they just killed themselves a Christian. Yep. Uh, and there have been thousands of these murders, Brandon. And again, anywhere else in the world, you would, there would have been nonstop coverage. Uh, but it's because these are Afrikaners being targeted. And yet being we're helping Ukraine. Yet we're helping Ukraine. And we're helping the South African government, Brandon. We, the South African government is one of the biggest recipients of U.S. foreign aid. And they don't they don't even hide the fact. Uh, a couple of years ago, they put out the ANC put out their foreign policy document governing their the ANC's foreign policy. And they said in plain English, the communist Chinese system is our guiding lodestar. In other words, communist China is the system we look to. And here are idiot Americans sending them billions of dollars, sending them our most advanced weaponry. I mean, you, you couldn't make this stuff up. You couldn't, uh, somebody who actually hated America with every fiber of their being couldn't have written a better script for this. It's exactly what's happening right now. The U.S. government is responsible. The U.S. government brought these communists to power. The U.S. government is keeping these communists in power. And now they want to do the same thing to Americans. And by the way, Brandon, the rhetoric is very similar to what our children are being taught in schools. Uh, that what they, what the, the regime in South Africa tells the South African people, which is all lies, is that these evil settlers came here and killed people and enslaved people. Nothing could be further from the truth. These were, for the most part, decent, Christian, hardworking people looking for religious freedom. They came down there. They built a prosperous, first world, highly advanced country. And, um, and now the same things that they say about Americans are the same things that they say about South Africans, that they're settlers, that they're genocidal, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of people feel justified in perpetrating these horrific atrocities. It's just scary. So bottom line is, keep your eye on South Africa. What's go been going on there, what's going on there in many ways is a beta test for what's coming here. You called it today on the phone to me, the canary in the coal mine. It is. And, uh, you know, if you if you want to see uh, what is going to happen to the Western world, if this continues, look at what's happening to the Afrikaners right now. They are the canary in the coal mine. When they die, know you're next. And it's coming, folks. I'm telling you, go back and read all those articles. Go back and read. I did a 2012 cover story in The New American. You put it up on the screen briefly. It was uh, South Africa facing communism and genocide. Uh, read about how the U.S. government aided and abetted this process from the start. That's the article I did, South African Communist Friends in High Places. Go read. I did probably a 12-part series on South Africa for World Net Daily. I wrote about this for many, many different publications. I spoke about it on some of the biggest uh, programs in America. I was on Michael Savage's program talking about this. Um, it's a huge deal. I haven't covered it as much as I should over the last couple of years just because there's so many other irons in the fire. But folks, follow South Africa because it's the model that they plan to implement here. Almost exactly the same lies, the same rhetoric, the same strategies. It's all happening, and it's happening in America now, too.
Wow. I want to show you this video. This is reported to be a bunch of our U.S. military uh, in Poland, if you guys want to show the image there. And I think it's the, the, the well, some are saying it's coming back to the U.S., the continental U.S. Others say it's probably headed to Ukraine. Uh, look at this video footage of this. I mean, wow. What are your thoughts? What are you hearing about all this footage, all, all this military you know, hardware? What are you hearing, Alex? Yeah, I, I believe that they are trying as hard as possible to get the U.S. involved in this war. Um, again, I, I think this is a Hegelian dialectic that's being set up. We know the globalists want war. Uh, if you read the 1962 State Department document, a world effectively controlled by the United Nations, they spell out the plan in plain English. They say that the fastest way to get to a one world government is to use war and the threat of war. And that's what they've done, right? Look what happened after World War One. We got the League of Nations. Look what happened after World War Two. We got the United Nations. We got the World Bank. We got the International Monetary, uh, 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 the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Uh, we got the European Coal and Steel Community, which was the nucleus that they built out the European Union on top of. Um, they know that another world war would be the perfect mechanism to suck the United States, Europe, and the broader Western world into this one world totalitarian system where Americans will end up in the same boat that the Afrikaners find themselves in right now. No control over their destiny, no control over their own property, over their own businesses, uh, totally at the mercy of communists who want to kill us. Do you, do you, have you ever interviewed Janie Allen? Are you familiar with Janie Allen? Nope. I've got to get her back on. She's from South Africa. She's an actress and a columnist writer. I've had her on about this. She put me in touch uh, back in 2021 with two folks from South Africa, and I interviewed them from South Africa about what's happening to them over there. I got so many emails from people in South Africa that watched the broadcast thanking me for not forgetting about them. Uh, do, you, do you get communications from folks in South Africa thanking you that we're trying to keep the light on their story? If I shared the, the correspondence that I get from South Africa, Brandon, it would make everybody watching this, and probably even you, and I know you're a tough guy, but it would make you cry. Um, the, these are desperate families. These are moms who, who just are, are at a loss. They don't know what to do. They're worried that their kids are going to be raped and murdered. Um, they would do anything to get out of that country. In fact, I know some who are right now in the United States waiting for their uh, asylum cases to be processed. So uh, they're very scared to even lift their heads up because they're worried that uh, if the left figures out, they're going to all be deported back to South Africa to uh, almost certain death. Um, and you know what? Again, I, I used to live in South Africa. I love South Africa. I love the people of South Africa. But what is happening is evil, and I mean evil forces, communists, uh, mass murderers, are deliberately fomenting genocide and massive levels of hatred so that they can rule over the ruins. Uh, it's the same story we've seen over and over and over again in country after country. And every time I write about South Africa, I just get an avalanche of correspondence and emails and uh, phone calls. And uh, it, it's enough to make even the toughest guy want to cry. It's so sad what's happening. Well, and some of the videos are so tough, you really can't finish watching them. They make you that sick as a parent, as a husband, uh to think what they've done to some of those kids and the wife as the as the husband is forced to watch it is uh beyond words and something you really can't show or talk about it gets to be so tough so I, they, they do it to blacks too brandon i, I want to point this out too you know I, I think a lot of the people who've been brainwashed into believing that the europeans who who settled in south africa are evil um the anc is actually more barbaric and more brutal against fellow blacks in many cases than they have been against in uh, my documentary yes. siege i show them 
putting a tire, lighting it with gasoline. Nelson Mandela's wife, Winnie, used to call Winnie it a Mandela. necklace. A necklace. That's right. And she Ronald, was a huge advocate of that. And, we've and got this were, these video. were blacks. These were blacks. They were doing yep. this too, who were school teachers and wouldn't go along with the communist. And they would. And and Ronald Reagan. I have a speech in my documentary Siege from uh, 2018, where Ronald Reagan's giving a speech in the White House talking all about this. And it's in my documentary. And they're burning alive a man with a gas-fueled tire on his neck. He's being burned alive. And you and it's on yep. video. Yep. And this was a very common tactic. Uh, this is what the ANC used to, to combat people who stood against them, uh, especially fellow blacks, uh, policemen, uh, teachers, like you said, even children. Right. Winnie Mandela and, and her crew were notorious for murdering children. Right. I actually talk about some of them in, in the articles that I wrote. Uh, and you know, there were entire African nations that resisted this communist takeover. The, the, the Americans never really got this because all we had was the fake media. Uh, the Zulu nation was the closest allies of the Afrikaners. The Zulus absolutely Absolutely did not want their nation handed over to the communists, and they fought alongside of Afrikaners to stop it. Eventually, the Afrikaners were backed into a corner, and they realized that you know if we don't vote, you know they had brainwashed a bunch of their population. They realized if we don't vote to hand over power to the ANC, it's never going to stop. And so they finally surrendered. But they had many, many millions of Black Africans standing in solidarity with them against this takeover by communist barbarians. But Henry Kissinger. David Rockefeller, I mean, they, they wanted a repeat of what they did in Rhodesia and South Africa, and uh, we're watching the fruit of that right now. Wow. All right, so tell our folks uh, how they can hear you every day and, and where they can find your great literature. Uh, well, thank you so much, Brandon. My personal website is libertysentinel.org. People can get my books, my DVDs there and other places, but that's the easiest place. Uh, my show uh, on Lindell TV is live every weekday, 3.30 to 4 Central Time on Lindell 2, and then it rebroadcasts uh, at different times on Lindell 1. Um, and I'm senior editor at The New American. You can find it at thenewamerican.com. That's where a lot of my articles on South Africa were, and also wnd.com. You'll find at least a dozen articles I did on South Africa over the years. Uh, I encourage you folks to get up to speed. I know it seems like it's on the other side of the world, not relevant. It is absolutely relevant. And if you want to understand the strategies that are being deployed against us right now, Study what they did in South Africa, because, folks, it's coming soon to a neighborhood near you. That's right. And, you know, we carry your show every day over at WVWTV.com as well. That's right. Yep, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Brandon. Thank you for everything you've done, Alex, and are doing. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. God bless. You too. He's one of the keynote speakers also for our Ozarks uh, Worldview Weekend. This is our 30th year to do Worldview Weekends. He's one of the keynote speakers the middle of October. We'll give you the full list soon and uh, let you know when you can start registering. That's going to be real soon. It's just, it's just